And joining me now is Mary Allison Brown. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into the world of mental health therapy and clinical um, social work and that Okay, so I've always, I think from the time I was a kid, I've always been kind of like a natural helper. That's just always kind of been who I was. And um, I was working, when I moved first moved to Washington, I was working in Early Head Start with teen parents. And through that work, I realized that I really enjoyed sort of the social work piece of it more than the early childhood education piece of it. And so I decided to go back to grad school and got my master's in social work. And from there, I knew that I wanted to continue to work with a certain population. It actually started off as infants and toddlers. And I went into infant mental health, which is actually birth to five. And so I started to specialize in that. And then through that work, I had an experience where I was working with a foster mom who was just incredible, like Foster mom extraordinaire, had so many kids, was just amazing. Like from the outside, totally superwoman. And while I was working with one of her children, um, she actually had a suicide attempt. And I just felt totally blindsided by that. Like I didn't see it coming. I was like, but this woman is amazing. Like she's doing all of these things and caring for all these kids. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that... The people who are the most generous and the most kind-hearted and the most giving and loving are also the people who don't take care of themselves. And so they drive themselves into the ground. And as somebody who's always been an advocate for early childhood, I just realized that actually like that's not doing anybody any good if the people who are the kindest and most loving and most generous are driving themselves into the ground. And so from there, I sort of branched out. I still do infant mental health, actually, but I branched out into seeing adult women as well. Um, I did lots of studying around like perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and what that looks like. And then I also sort of branched into coaching women around stress and self-care just to really keep sharing and spreading this message that the only way you get to show up as the best version of yourself is when you take the best care of yourself. Um, You said that when you were younger, you uh, were just drawn to be a natural helper. Did you recognize, like, when you were a child, were there people around you that struggled with their mental health at all? Or do you remember that? as a kid like being, um, or did you struggle with anything like that when you were young? So as a kid I don't know that I was even aware of it really. Um, looking back I think people in my life probably almost certainly did yeah, struggle so, with mental health. I was asking because like now I recognize that I definitely grew up around like things like that. Yeah. A kid and I did not know then but now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah me too and I did have an experience myself in college where I was really going through a period of depression and I was struggling and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what it was like I didn't have a name for it at that point and I at that point I was working at Perkins School for the Blind which is actually where Helen Keller went to school so that's a little fun fact Um, but I was working there and somebody offered to drive me home one day and I said okay and on the drive she was like you know, I've been where you are, I've been depressed too, and here's what helped me. And in that moment, I was like, I'm not depressed, right? So I like totally shut her down. But I was also like internally, it felt like a life raft. Like somebody had thrown me a life raft because she had seen me, like she had seen that I was suffering. And that was when I started to be able to pull myself out of it. Around that same time, though, you know, we talk about like family patterns and how things play out. But around that same time, I had dinner with my parents and my mom actually accused me of being on drugs. And I felt so invalidated and so like, how dare you accuse me of being on drugs when I'm suffering? And you haven't even asked me, like, is everything okay, or what can I do or how can I help? And so um, that was kind of my experience personally with mental health. Um, I came out of it on my own. I didn't ever seek therapy or help because I still was kind of in denial about what was happening for me. 
Um, but I also did move across the country, which at the time I just was like an impulsive 21 year old thing to do, you know? Um, but now I look back on that as kind of an act of self-preservation where I was like, I need to create distance from like these people that aren't really supportive of what's happening for me. I thought um, what you just said was really interesting um, about the friend who reached out to you um, to say, like, you know, she's been where you have been. Because um, I think that a lot of the times with people struggling with, like, anxiety and depression and things like that, just knowing that someone else is there and that they have been through it. Like, and yeah. I feel like that can help you more than anything, just, like, feeling, not feeling like you're alone. Right, because it feels so isolating. Oh, yeah. And your experiences when you're in the midst of anxiety or depression feel so intense. Mm -hmm. It's hard to even imagine like, oh, somebody else knows just what this is like and how to come out on the other side. Like that was impossible for me to imagine. I just thought like there's something wrong with me and I don't know what it is. Well, I have been creeping your website (laughs) and all that stuff. And I consider you to be like an anti-stress guru. Oh, thank you. What what I got from it. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about, which I don't think I quite understand, the difference between stress and anxiety? Because I think that they could definitely kind of cross over. Yeah. Yeah, they're totally related. So I was actually listening to one of your other episodes, and she talked about our brain's primary function is survival. And so that's really how it starts, is that when any information comes into our brain, our brain has to quickly determine if it's a threat to our safety and survival. And if it is, it sounds the alarm. I always tell people to think of it like a smoke detector. Sounds the alarm, which is the activation of our stress response system. So we have, you know, a spike in our stress hormones, our heart rate increases. We all know fight or flight. So it's our body preparing for fight, flight, or freeze. So that's a stress response. In a normal, healthy brain, healthy body, once the issue has passed, that all comes back to baseline pretty quickly. What happens with anxiety is that the levels of stress hormones stay elevated. And so they aren't coming back down to baseline. And that can be because there's an anxiety disorder, or it can also just be in the case of really chronic toxic stress, where the time between stressors is not a whole lot. And so you're living in this chronic state of an activation of your stress response system. And so then that leads to anxiety because you essentially have adrenaline and cortisol flooding, rushing through your body and there's no threat to face. So there's nowhere for those hormones to go. And so that's what leads to the feelings of anxiety. Well, in, you know, I feel like today there's a million things to stress about all the time. Um, I was telling you earlier that I used to work in local TV and I don't think I've ever been more stressed in my entire life than mm-hmm. like like dealing with live television and like just consistently stressed out for people who do or work in industries or just their job in general where they're stressed all the time how do you kind of try to eliminate some of that stress like how how can you I don't know. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I don't think you can eliminate stressors, but you can train your body to respond to them in a different way. So the smoke detector, like I was saying, that whole response isn't conscious. So we don't have any control over that. But it's mitigated by our prefrontal cortex, which is our executive functioning part of our brain. And that is conscious. So one of the best ways really is to start noticing in your body like what are your symptoms what are your signs you know how do you feel in your body when your stress response starts to activate as you're ramping up but before you hit the peak and then integrate some calming methods before you reach the peak and so if you can interrupt that pattern enough times you can actually create a new pattern so I'm always saying like stressors are inevitable like especially now, like in this digital world that we live in, right? It's so fast paced. You're always late. There's always traffic. You're always getting a notification on your phone. There's always stress, but we don't always have to have that spike in our stress response system in response to it. Like we don't have to be a victim to that. Um, One of the best ways to interrupt that is just by taking really deep belly breaths 
No one likes to hear that because it's not a quick fix. But actually, when you do that, so we talked about fight, flight, or freeze, but the opposite response is called rest and digest, and that's governed by our parasympathetic nervous system. And so when we take deep, like diaphragmatic breaths, it actually activates that response. So it signals back to our brain, oh, this is safe. And so it can interrupt the pattern. And if you do it enough repetitively over time, you can actually create a new pattern in response to those stressors. So... It's really important, um, even though, you know, that's not a quick fix and it's not something because people want the quick fix, right? right? And so it's not something that people necessarily love to hear, but it's a great way to actually over time reprogram your body's stress thermostat so that you're not having that spike in response to things that aren't really truly threats. When you're dealing with, sorry, I'm trying to like... (laughs) Compartment, not compartmentalized, but just like I have, I don't know, I deal with a lot of stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. and I just don't know the difference between the two of them sometimes. Um, how, how do you know when to reach out and seek help? Mm-hmm. Like when, you know, it's not working when you're trying to calm yourself, or if you're, you know, trying to meditate or just recognize those stressors. You just can't do it. Yeah, I don't think there's necessarily like a golden ticket answer here, except that if you've used the resources that you have available to you and you're not finding the relief that you're looking for, I think that's a good time to reach out. And I think that there's always you know, something else. It doesn't necessarily have to be therapy, but it can be a support group or a friend or a coach or another support like that. Um, But there's always different things to try. And there's also a lot of value when you're deep in stress or anxiety in having someone reflect back to you what's going on. Um, I downloaded your, um, I guess it's like a guide. I think it's a it's totally a guide. It says it's it a guide. <laughs> um, resetting your stress thermostat. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And like I was telling you earlier, I'm a big journaler and there's like a little section in the back. You can like write down notes and stuff. Um, but can you just like talk about like what's in here? Um, like the you talk in one section about like toxic stress results and like how that kind of manifests itself in your body. Yes. And I, oh my goodness, I have experience with this too, but you can just Yeah, so there is healthy stress. There is positive stress. And there's actually three types of stress, positive, tolerable, and toxic. Um, and positive stressors are things that help us learn how to overcome adversity. So it's things like a test, you know, like you study for the test, you pass the test, that's over. Um, For little kids, it might be going to the doctor's office and getting shots and their mom's, you know, helping them through that or their dad's helping them through that. Um, A tolerable stress is something that's more significant where you have a bigger physiological reaction, but you have supportive relationships to help you mitigate the impact of that stressor. And then toxic stress, chronic toxic stress, is really when the stressors are coming like one after another and there is no relief. So your stress hormones are never coming back down to a baseline. And so what happens with that is that you actually, you have a stress thermostat essentially that tells your body like what your normal level of stress hormones are. And we're super adaptable. As human beings, we're so adaptable to our circumstances. And so our body's like, okay, like our stress level is set right here. And so what happens, unfortunately, is that then when our stress level comes way down, that actually feels uncomfortable because we don't know what to do with that. We're not used to that. And so the body's always seeking homeostasis. And so it will seek stressful situations out to help restore balance. And the fascinating part about that is it actually starts getting set in utero based on the mother's stress hormones. So the mother's stress hormones cross the placenta and start becoming a part of that baby's brain from that early. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 
That's this is completely off topic, but that is like one of the reasons why I'm terrified to have kids. <laughs> like I'm so like I know me and I'm just like I'm anxious and stressed out all the time. And like I would be so scared. I would be worried about being pregnant all the time. But people also say when you're pregnant oh, don't stress out, it's not good for the baby, which doesn't help you not stress out. Because then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm making it worse. No. Yeah. I'm passing it to my baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, but also in um, this guide, you talk about responding reflectively. Ooh, yeah. You can explain that a little bit. Yeah. So I think that what happens for a lot of people is we become so conditioned to the stressful world that we live in that we become really reactive to stressors. And so we react in ways that maybe aren't what we would choose if we were pausing and thinking about it and reflecting on those actions before we did them. And so I love this concept of being reflective and then choosing our response. And I really think that you know, in terms of even larger generational patterns of stress, anxiety, mental health, that reflective capacity, which just means a person's ability to be reflective about their own experiences and others, is the key to unlocking those generational patterns and to really healing and then passing forward sort of a legacy of healing instead of a legacy of continued generational trauma. No, I'm, I'm honestly taking that in because, oh, you okay? Oh, I'm okay. I just wanted to like wait oh, no, 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 <laughs> and cool. not keep talking. No, 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 you're cool. Okay. You've been talking as much as you want to. Um, but no, I was reading, um, I don't know if you know, have you ever heard of The Breakfast Club? Not the movie, the radio show. Oh, no. No. The okay. movie, yes. Um, radio <laughs> show, no. There is, uh, it's really popular, um, but there is a guy and he, he's a black guy he's from South Carolina, I think. So I, I just kind of related to him because he's Southern and all that stuff. Um, but he wrote a book about his anxiety and like not knowing when he was younger that he was growing up with anxiety. And he talked a lot about generational trauma. And I had mm. no idea what that was. Mm-hmm. But then like after reading his book and then trying to do a little research on my own, and I feel like that the generational trauma is a big problem. Huge. It's huge. Like, <laughs> huge. Where a lot of not even our you know, personal, emotional, and psychological issues come mm-hmm. from, but a lot of social issues Absolutely. come out of that. Um, but what, what do we do to make that better? Oh, that's such a big question. I'm glad you asked it <laughs> because <laughs> I think it's really important to address it. Um, in my work, I didn't mention, but I'm also a certified clinical trauma specialist. So I really work with people who've experienced a lot of adversity and trauma. And I think that we as a society have to get more comfortable having those conversations. There's still such a culture of secrecy and silence around those things. And we mentioned before how isolating it feels. Mm -hmm. So many mental health issues are related to childhood trauma. And we have to start talking about that because whatever happened to you, that's part of your story, right? And there's no shame in that. And it doesn't get to define you unless you let it. And so the more that we can have those conversations in the light, I think, the more we can all start to heal collectively. But I also think there's a lot of work to be done on an individual level. And I just want to tell you a little story because I feel like in terms of sort of my personal mission, this is actually a really huge part of it. And I was in yoga class one day and our teacher was having us talk about the meaning of our names to a partner before class started. And my name is Mary Allison and... It's after both of my grandmas. One was Mary and one was Alice. So my parents stuck it together and made Mary Allison. And Mary Allison means bittersweet truth. So I'm like explaining this to my partner and telling him, you know, this is what my names mean. And it's after my grandmother's. And then we did our yoga class and we got to the the ending. And I just had this strong realization all of a sudden that part of my purpose is really to heal generational trauma in my family. And there's this like legacy of healing, I think. And with my grandmother's names, you know, and bittersweet truth, I feel like it's my purpose to like 
tell the truth about what's happening and that that is bittersweet because people who you know want the secrets and the hiding don't like it when you tell the truth and so I just I started crying in yoga because I just felt like oh my god it's this huge responsibility but I have two daughters and I felt like I have to do this work I on myself to heal like the women who came before me, but also for my daughters. And then I had to kind of reframe for myself because I started feeling very overwhelmed by that concept. And I had to quickly reframe for myself and say it is a responsibility, but it's also a privilege because I really believe like from the depths of my soul that all of the work that I do to heal like that lineage is work that my daughters don't have to do, you know, and it's trauma that they don't get to pass on to their kids. Yeah. And it's so important because we talk about generational trauma and how, you know, trauma and pain is passed forward in families until somebody's ready to deal with it. But we have to talk, I think, more about healing as well. And that all the work we do to heal is also passed forward. Ah. So I think that's so important. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, My dad clearly dealt with a lot of anxiety when I was younger and I had no idea what he was dealing with and I even today I don't think that he quite knows mm. what he's dealing with yeah but he's he's at the point where it's I mean he doesn't want to seek help you know like how I don't know if you know about southern men but I do <laughs> I was married to one oh I'm, really? I'm not yeah. anymore <laughs> but yeah I know he's just so stuck in his ways he's never mm-hmm. gonna seek help no matter how old he gets or whatever happens, he's just not going to do it. But realizing that he dealt with that kind of gave me comfort in what I was dealing yeah. with. Um, but also made me kind of have an understanding of what he dealt with and kind of forgive him for some things. And I thought that yes. was pretty important um, just to learn learn that. And what you said, um, moving forward, and it's less work for you know your children to have to do. Yeah. That's really important. That's the goal for me, Yeah, to not <laughs> pass that right. along to, to my kids one day. And I think, you know, as a parent, you are going to screw up. I probably apologize to my kids, like, more in a day, I think, than my parents apologize to me in my life because I have the awareness and I know that I'm human and I teach parenting. <laughs> and, and my boyfriend recently asked me, like, well, how often do you think, like, do you think you really parent the way you teach other people to parent? And I was like, um, like 20% of the time. And I think like maybe like 70% of the time I'm like middle of the road. (laughs) And then like 10% of the time I suck because I'm human and we all have our moments. Um, But I was going to say what you were saying about your dad, that forgiveness piece is so important. And actually like one of the things that I teach in my programs is the four part stress proofing formula. And one piece of that is energetic self-care. And part of that is forgiveness because when we're holding on to resentment and anger, that doesn't help us move forward. It just weighs us down. And have you ever heard the term mother wound? No. So that's like a popular term, you know, basically we talk about daddy issues and the mother wound and I hate it. So that's probably an unpopular opinion. (laughs) Um, Because this is the work I do, and I just feel like coming from a compassionate place that there is no mother wound. There's only wounded mothers who are really doing the best that they can with what they've got. And I think as adults, when we're looking to heal, even though our mothers or fathers like may not have been who we needed them to be or done what we needed them to do, we have to come from a place of seeking understanding and compassion and not to say that we even have to continue those relationships, right? Like boundaries are important a lot of the time, even with family members and that's okay. But I just think like, you know, I'm almost 40. And so like holding on to like, if I was like, oh, my mom didn't do this thing when I was eight. Okay. That's true. But how does that serve me now 30 years later, you know? And, And so if I look back and I can say, wow, like she was dealing with some things and she really did the best she could. And I wish that she could have healed so that I could have had the mom I needed. That's so much more compassionate. And that's like such a more healing way to be versus continuing to operate from that open wound of being so hurt by it. So I think that's really important. Oh yeah, for sure. 
And that is part of self-care and it's part of stress too, even though (laughs) we went a little off topic there, but it really is all tied together. Yeah. Um, I actually had a counselor once, uh, well, he was my therapist, (laughs) tell me um, I was struggling with relationship with a brother of mine mine and just his dynamic in the family and all of that. And I was really struggling with it. And my therapist just like looked me down the eye and was like, if you know, this person wasn't in your family, would you have a relationship with this person? And I was like, no. And he's like, okay. And that was the day I had to set a clear boundary between me and that person. And ever that, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulder, yeah. just creating that boundary. And I don't know, it's been very successful <laughs> to this yeah. point. But you were talking about how um, the beautiful meaning of your name and, you know, how what you represent for your family you have a lot of people leaning on you you have your children Mm -hmm. your family you have your clients how do you take care of you and take you know lower your stress levels yeah (laughs) sorry excuse me um how do I take care of me So it's been a real evolution probably the past five years of practicing what I preach because I've been really burnt out and I've realized, you know, I've gotten to that place where I've said, I'm not like a fun person to be around right now. And this isn't how you show up as a parent. And this isn't how I wanted to show up in the world. Um, So I really prioritize taking care of myself in a couple of different ways. So we talked a little bit about journaling. You mentioned you like to journal and I love to journal. And that's probably the most important practice, I think, for me personally in sort of my personal growth arsenal and exercise. I really love yoga and I run and I really try to prioritize like moving my body every day. Um, But really basic self-care. I need quiet and kids are loud. So I just find ways to cultivate quiet, you know, after they go to bed or in my car, I drive without music or when I run, I don't put music in my headphones. Um, But it's simple things. And in order really for self-care to be sustainable, you know, we talk a lot about self-care as being things like getting a massage or a pedicure or like more extravagant things in terms of the time they take Mm -hmm. and the money they cost. And in order for self-care to be sustainable, it has to be happening every day. And so it can be five minutes and it can be a five minute quick gratitude journaling where you're just taking time to like intentionally check in with yourself. And so I just really prioritize building that into my schedule. And (coughs) excuse me, Um, I really learned that I, as much as I wish I was, I'm not somebody who does well with a lot of white space on my calendar. So I don't leave white space. I fill myself in. And before I schedule anything else for the week, I schedule myself into my calendar. And that way that time is already blocked off and protected. And when I first started doing that, I would be really bad about like, oh, well, I can just put you in this spot. Um, And I've learned because I because I preach it so much and because I truly believe that the only way that we get to show up as the best version of ourselves, who we want to be, is by taking the best care of ourselves. And so I also sort of reframe that time, you know, instead of being selfish or indulgent as being an investment in the things I care about and in the people I care about, because when I take care of me, they get the best version of me. Well, what you said about self-care is like something I've been preaching Mm. for the longest time. I'm I actually just wrote a piece on it. Um, it's on my website, and it's just about free ways to exercise self-care. Yeah. Because I feel like self-care has just become, like, this buzzword. To, Agree. Like, sell wine packages and spa dates and, like, things yeah. like that. And people, you, I honestly feel so relaxed when I clean out my email inbox. Yeah. Or when I go through and, like, just delete, like, people from Instagram Mm -hmm. and things like that like I just feel like okay like I've brought it all back together but yeah I don't think and I think for a lot of younger girls who are on social media a lot and they're seeing all these things they think that they have to you know spend all this money or look a certain way and all this stuff to take care of themselves and it's just not no you're totally speaking my language so um I've kind of come up with my own definition of self-care because 
of exactly what you just said. And so the way that I define it is that self-care is identifying how you want to feel and then prioritizing the things that make you feel that way. So if you want to feel peaceful, let's just say, is one of your core feelings, you want to feel peaceful, but you feel anxious when there's dishes piled in the sink, then doing the dishes is self-care. It's not sexy self-care. It's not going to the spa, but it helps you achieve your desired outcome, which is a feeling, a sense of peace. And that's so important, like on a regular daily basis, you know. And then I talked to somebody else today where about leaving the dishes in the sink because she wants to have some time for herself to do things that she just enjoys. And part of that in this season of her life means being comfortable with dishes being in the sink, you know. So there's no right or wrong answer. But how do you want to feel? What helps you feel that way? And then do it and prioritize that. And that's self-care to me. Um, so what would you say to someone who's just, who feels like they're just drowning in, you know, priorities and are just mm-hmm. stressing about everything? Where do they start to try to minimize that or the effects of that in their life? Who? One starting place. That's a good <laughs> question. Um, I think by getting quiet and by listening and by really checking in with themselves to ask what they need and trusting in the answer. I think I teach people to like put one hand on their tummy and one hand on their heart and close their eyes and take a deep breath and just ask themselves, what do I need right now? And then just breathe and listen for the answer. And I really do believe that we already have inside of us the answers that we seek externally, but we don't create any space to listen And so trusting in what you already know to be true. Um, For some people, it might be like, do the dishes. For some people, it might be like, start a journaling habit, like gratitude journal. Gratitude is an amazing way to shift your mindset really quickly. And it's so easy. I know you and I are both journalers, but lots of people get super intimidated by it. And I don't know what to write and I don't know what to do. And really just making a list of things you're grateful for can help shift your perspective and is such a simple place to start that I often have people start there like it literally can take three minutes and you're shifting your mindset and you're starting to focus on positives instead of negatives and there's a process in our minds called confirmation bias have you heard that I don't think so so it basically just means that our brain will seek evidence to prove that which we already believe to be true And so it's for efficiency, right? And so if we are making a gratitude list every day and we're like, I'm grateful for these five things and we write it down, then we're starting to prime our brain literally to look for more things to be grateful for. And so we'll start to notice them more easily. So it's a really simple, simple thing to do, but it really does make a big shift if people are consistent. So that's a good place to start. It's encouraged almost. And my big issue is like with social media and (laughs) how we all handle social media. But I feel like it's encouraged to cope with life and cope with stress and anxiety and the things that you're going through in negative ways uh, or to cope with them in dangerous ways sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, How can people, because I feel like, and I could be wrong, I don't want to be judgmental, but I feel like if you're struggling with stress and anxiety and that kind of thing, introducing like alcohol yeah. into that to make yourself feel good. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, having a drink. I actually like totally that. agree with you. But like if you're doing it to mm-hmm. make yourself, you know, feel good, I feel like that's where the problem is and it can create, you know, more problems for Yeah, you. I actually totally agree with you. And especially for moms, most of the women I work with are moms. And there's like this culture around wine and yeah. kids are driving me crazy. I just need a bigger wine glass, you know? And I actually feel the same way as you, which I don't think I've ever said out loud, but here we are. <laughs> um, when we're stressed out, You have it right in front of you right now, which no one else can see but me. But really, like, we can either deal with the stressor or we can avoid it or we can really shift our perspective. And 
just numbing how we feel with alcohol or drugs or sex or shopping isn't dealing with it, right? We're just stuffing it down. And when we do that, the problem just becomes bigger and bigger. And maybe it morphs into another problem like you mentioned, and maybe you're lucky and it doesn't, but it's going to come out in ways that we don't want. I always kind of think of it as like, pushing a beach ball under the surface of water, you know, and you're just like pushing it down. And the further you push it down, the more pressure builds up and then it pops up. And so with our emotions, whether it's stress or anxiety or frustration or anger, if we shove it under the surface and we keep shoving it harder and harder and harder, it's going to come out in ways that we don't want to see it. And that for sure is part of my, you know, story of my early twenties where, um, yeah, like, some uh, some stuff had happened and I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I didn't deal with it. And so I put on that face. Everything's just fine. And I got really drunk a lot and did lots of other things that weren't actually helping me move through it. And we do that because we're afraid to actually deal with our feelings. But another thing that I teach my clients, both in therapy and in my coaching practice, is that You have to feel it to heal it. Like you have to feel it. And even if it's like, just in my example, in my own life, like I had a sexual assault when I was 17 and I didn't deal with it until I was 36. So almost 20 years. And when I finally did, I had to give myself permission to like go back to that moment and feel it and feel like how it felt for 17 year old me to be there. And what, you know, I wish I would have known at the time and what I wish I could tell her now. But in order for me to heal, I had to let it all come up to the surface and I had to cry and I had to journal and I did some EFT around it, which is emotional freedom technique. I don't know if you're familiar. It's the tapping thing. Um, And it, you know what, for the first time, though, like since I've done that work, like it doesn't impact me anymore. And I finally feel like liberated from it. So you have to heal it to feel it. And if you're just getting drunk because the kids are driving you crazy, you're not actually dealing with your feelings about it. It's, I feel like there's just so much pressure on women or girls from the time when they're, you know, in elementary school to Mm -hmm. their mothers, you know, and adults. I feel like there's just this pressure to not only be perfect but to take care of other people absolutely like you're saying like forget to take care of ourselves mm-hmm. a lot that's like one gripe i have with my mom she will not take care of herself yeah. she will take care of absolutely everyone else and kind of you know leave herself out of all of it yeah but you know with going back to what you said um when you know when you were in your 20s and drinking a lot i feel like that's like every girl i've ever known yeah like we're all like that because we're I feel like we're all dealing with some of the same things yeah absolutely and it kind of goes back to just like you know if I would have known at that point that there were other girls who felt the same way I did I would have made life so much easier just to get through the day yeah which also speaks to the power of community and sisterhood Mm -hmm. and like cultivating that group of people that you feel safe with which is, you know, always a challenge in adulthood, but so, so important because we have a basic human need for that sense of belonging. Um, and just to know that you're not alone gives you permission to feel it because you're like, okay, all right, yeah, like she went through this, she got through it. Like you can see a model of it, but when we keep it all under the rug, then we don't know how to move through it. We don't know that other people have or that they are because it's all like super secret I know (laughs) but it's good I I feel like we're at a place where people are more open about yeah I think so going through so that's good I still have my like little I don't know drawbacks about like misinformation Mm -hmm. that is going out there um I guess that's just like the journalist in me that's (laughs) kind of you know worried about fake news and that kind of thing (laughs) fake Um, news but I'm definitely like you know I'm happy that people are open and honest about what they're mm-hmm. going through it definitely it still helps me like I still deal with things not as much as I used to but yeah I feel like you know just having 
being able to relate it's just I don't know it's a blessing I think I think so too I totally agree um but switching gears just a little bit on a little bit of a lighter note I am so fascinated about your platform and just like what you do um, like your speak, I saw that you do a lot of speaking engagements. You have your book. You have all these digital products on your website. I just think it's super super cool. Oh, thank so you. you. Just talk a little bit about your platform and like what you're doing and how you kind of um, started all of it. Like how you started your business. Oh man, how did I start it? I started the online part of my business. So I've been working for myself since 2014, but I started the online part of my business two years ago now. And actually, to be really truthful with you, the catalyst for starting my online business was my own healing journey. And I, so I had been working with that woman who had the suicide attempt and I was like, I got to help. My platform is self-care and it started off as self-care, self-worth, self-love. And obviously all of those things are important and it still feels fluffy to a lot of people and it's easy to dismiss. And so I basically feel like I've kind of gone in circles for the past two years of like, what do I want to focus on and how do I want to share my message and kind of have come full circle to now where I have the Align with Joy, the journal, which I really think is a super valuable tool, but also created the Life Unboxed podcast. And that podcast is really all about like getting out of the boxes that other people put us in, the labels that other people in society place on us, and just being like unapologetically, authentically, exactly who we are. And that's that's my story, right? And I know how it felt to feel crammed into these boxes and these identities that didn't fit and it sucked and when I finally broke free of it I was like I don't want anyone else to ever feel like this I don't want any woman to watch her dreams you know die at the hands of insecurity because she's afraid to step up I want us to all just feel confident and like rise together. And so that's kind of how that started. But then through that came um, a group coaching program that I do called the Life Unboxed Journey. And it's really, truly about helping women learn to reconnect with their own inner guidance system and to trust in what they already know, and then to have the courage to act on it. Um, And, you know, I did that group program for the first time earlier this year. And I asked women in like week three or four, like, who are you at your core? And nobody in the program could answer that question because they all were like, uh, I don't really know anymore because I've been so busy being an employee, a mother, a wife. I don't know. Like they didn't even know what they liked anymore. And to me, I just feel like that's unacceptable. Like Mm -hmm. we deserve better, first of all, but also like our children deserve better and we are the example for them. And so for lots of moms, you know, like they're like, oh, but my kids come first. Okay, great. And your kids deserve to see an example of a strong, confident woman who's following her dreams and pursuing her passions. And so that's kind of how it came to be. And so the mission of all of it truly is reconnecting with your own inner voice. That's, you know, the journal, the podcast, the programs and breaking up with stress, which is right there on my homepage, because I think that whatever your purpose is, whether it's to be a great entrepreneur or a podcaster or mom. It doesn't have to be work-related. Whatever your purpose is, the reason why you get up every day, if you're drowning in toxic stress, that's getting in the way of you fulfilling your purpose. And so I think if we can help women learn how to break up with stress, not so that stressors go away, because that's not ever going to happen, but so that they don't have to be just a victim to that spike of stress hormones constantly, that then they can lead more joyful, fulfilled lives. I like to joke with people that I'm the divorce your husband, quit your job evangelist, and that I want everybody to divorce their husband and quit their job. And that's not really true. But the truth in it is that I want everybody to feel happy and joyful and fulfilled in their relationship and their work. And so I just see so many women who are like settling for lives that they didn't choose or that they don't really want. And so it's a little tongue in cheek, but I do sort of feel like if you're in a relationship that makes you unhappy and unfulfilled, then let's fix it or get out of it, you know? And the same thing with work, like, all right, what are we going to do about that? 
um, a few years ago, I was getting a massage and the massage therapist said to me, oh, I, did I also happen to mention I'm a psychic medium? And then went on to, yeah. And I was like, what's coming up for me? And went on to tell me all of these things about my marriage. And regardless of whether you believe in psychic mediums or not, like she was spot on and she said everything I needed to hear. And she said to me, you know, you need to be really clear that this is going to be your decision and not making a decision is making a decision. Because I was very much in the place of like, I'm just going to ride this out. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait till my kids are older. I'm just going to ride it out. Like I can, I can deal with this because we're taught to just kind of take it right. We can deal with it. And when she said those words to me, not making a decision is making a decision. I kind of felt like someone punched me in the stomach, like, but this isn't the decision I want to be making, but it was the decision I was making. And I said, you know, we have kids And that makes it really hard. I don't know. I don't know. We have kids. And she said, okay, well, let me ask you a question. Would you tell your daughters to stay in this marriage? And I was just like, no, no, I wouldn't. And so then what am I doing? You know? And so because that was my journey, I just see like the happiness and the fulfillment that can exist on the other side. And I think so many women don't take those steps, whether it's, it doesn't have to be divorced. Like I kind of say that as a partway joke, um, but whether it's like leaving an unhealthy relationship or changing careers or whatever, so many women seem to get stuck because the fear of change is so strong when really sometimes that courage to leap means that you can actually find, you know, magic on the other side. Okay, I'm up for it. How do you know when, for me, like when I was working in local TV, I knew I was not happy doing that. But Mm -hmm. I did not know, I had no idea what to do, where to go. I'd have job offers in other cities. I would not take them for some reason. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why. But it was like two, almost two years of that, like Mm -hmm. just taking it and being unhappy, but not really understanding like where to go next or you know what to do and just letting the fear of the unknown like just keep me planted where I am yeah and I feel like for some people and a lot of women especially if they're you know lower income or you know if they're single moms or things like that like they're they're terrified of what that could mean like leaving their job yeah (laughs) what do you what do you do do so I wouldn't obviously say just like leave your job and travel around, do whatever you want. If you have no income and you're a single mom, um, I wouldn't suggest that, but I would be strategic about it. If you like, if you know, you're not happy, then you make a move and do it strategically and follow the fun and Mm -hmm. you might get it wrong. Right. But it's not wrong. It's a learning experience and that's going to move you closer to the next step. I feel like for me, when I knew I was really burnt out, I thought it was just work related. And so I like changed jobs. And then like, before I know it, I'm back in the same place of like, uh, dragging myself through the day. And so I changed jobs again and then back in the same place again. And it was really because probably of my marriage, honestly. Um, but the combination of like doing work that was unfulfilling and being in an unhealthy relationship and just feeling like so drained and depleted by all of it. Um, but every time I changed jobs, it helped me get closer to where I needed to be. And so I think that a lot of times people say stuck cause they're so afraid of making the wrong choice. But I think if you reframe that and say like, there is no wrong choice, there is just a different experience. There's a learning experience. I'm either going to love it or I'm going to learn something new about myself that will lead to the next step. Then that can make it feel a little bit less scary. Oh, good. Well, you know, we're winding down a little bit, but I, I like to always give whoever I'm interviewing a chance to kind of plug things that they are doing. Like if you have any events coming up, I kind of want you to talk about your book too. Okay. <laughs> um, I do. I have a free challenge coming up, which is starting the 24th. 
um, which is confusion to clarity. It's just a five-day challenge, but really the focus of that is really dialing into how do you want to feel, what makes you feel that way, and understanding kind of what we were just talking about, but understanding the right next step. So maybe not the whole path, but what's the next step so that you can start to create some momentum. So that's coming up soon. That's completely free. After that, um, the Life Unboxed journey is open again starting mid-July. And so that's a six-week program that's coming up and super excited about that. Um, But really like Instagram's a great place to follow me. I know you were in (laughs) in love with social media, but it's just my name. And then um, the book. So Align with Joy is a 30-day guided joy journal. And the reason... Oh, good. I I hope you love it. The reason why I wrote it was because, you know, as we've discussed a few times, like journaling has been a huge pivotal practice in my life. And the more I talk to people, the more I realize that people often are really intimidated by journaling. And so I decided to create this guided journal that's really super focused on positive. So not that we just ignore our negative feelings, but from, I heard you kind of talk about CBT in a previous podcast from, you know, CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. And from a CBT perspective, basically our emotions are influenced by our thoughts and our thoughts lead to our feelings, our feelings lead to our actions. And so from a CBT perspective, if our thoughts are positive and empowering, we're going to feel better. And so with this journal, it's really focused on what can you do to cultivate joy today? What are you grateful for today? And there's morning intention setting sections and evening reflection sections every day. The questions are actually the same every morning. It's like five questions. They're all the same. So you can get into a routine with it. It's 15 minutes of your day tops. And then in the evening, there's the same four questions, but then also an additional question for exploration. Sometimes people feel still a little intimidated by that. And if anybody listening feels that way, like, oh, I don't even know what I would write, um, just start where you are. Just honestly, like, start with where you're comfortable. I had a conversation with someone one time, and she was like, oh, I have your journal. It's in my drawer. And I was like, okay, so you're not using it. And she was like, no, um, I'm just afraid that if I were to use it, I'd have to be honest with myself. And I said, okay, well, I would argue that lying to yourself all the time probably isn't serving you. And she said, well, I don't lie to myself all the time, but I know that sometimes I do. And I was like, okay, so here's the thing though. It doesn't get easier by osmosis. Like by sitting in a drawer, you're never going to one day wake up and say like, oh, I feel like a journaling machine today. Like that's not going to happen. But if you start just with what you're comfortable with, whether that's just part of it or just skipping the question for exploration, it gets easier and you will start to get more comfortable. And so I think just start where you are without judging yourself for that. I think sometimes we expect ourselves to be further along than we are and we can't be further along than we are. So really practicing self-compassion and self-love and just honoring where we are and meeting ourselves there is so important. Well, oh, there's one more question I wanted to ask you. Okay. Kind of going back a little bit, I feel like we are in like this era where everyone just wants to be busy for the sake of being busy. And it drives me crazy. Yeah, we celebrate busyness. Yeah, and I I wonder if I, I know when I like, say that I'm busy I'm really not busy like <laughs> at all I'm really not that busy well, I'm not being productive um but for people like I don't know creatives or um people who are you know trying to start their own businesses and things like that how can they be productive without have you know kind of um trying to like get on this trend of just looking busy yeah because I feel like that for me at least when I'm not busy I feel like I should be doing like guilt yeah guilty Mm -hmm. for not being like stressed out and like over scheduled and all that stuff yeah can you like kind of 
work That's through. so important. Um, I think time blocking is just huge in terms of like a practical tip, like planning out how much time you have for your task and outsourcing what you don't need to do yourself, which you're a great example of, and delegating and then taking things off your list that you don't need and scheduling in the self-care. Because if you need to feel busy, like I was saying, I'm not good with white space on my calendar, so I schedule myself in. So doing that, um, I think that's important. And then in terms of resisting sort of that societal pressure, it takes a lot of strength because our culture glorifies busy and celebrates busy. And if you ask people, oh, how are you? Nine times out of 10, they're going to be like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And then you're like, oh, okay. Um, and I actually, I have a friend, her name's Hallie Avolio, and she runs the website Sassy Healthy Fit. Her reframe for that is that she says, I'm an in-demand woman. And I love that reframe because I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Feels like we're sort of a victim to our calendar, right? Like my time isn't mine. I'm so busy. Um, but when I reframe it, cause I use this myself and I say, Oh, I'm an in-demand woman. Well, an in-demand woman respects her time. Right. right. And so I make m- better decisions about where to spend my time and who to give it to. Um, so I love that reframe. So she's a good person to follow too, for more tips <laughs> on that. Um, but yeah, it takes a lot of strength to really resist that pressure and to really cultivate that space for quiet and if you're a creative person play is really the birthplace of inspiration you have to create space and not feel guilty about it and know that the time you're spending on self-care or just playing just things that light you up is actually an investment in your creativity and in your process and in whatever it is you're trying to do right when I like write an article or something it's usually directly after I've had like a long weekend where I've gotten to do whatever I wanted to do or I've been able to read like some some other people's work or you know I just get inspired that way but if I like am so busy and just constantly working I'm not inspired to write anything yeah and when we cram our schedules yeah there's no space for it no there's no space for creativity or inspiration well before we bring this to a to know what you think or what you would tell someone um, who's out there who may be listening who has been struggling with whether it be stress or anxiety or depression or they just feel off and they just don't know where to go or what to do Mm. how can they seek help yeah I think first of all just knowing that they're not alone Um, and I think that there's different needs that's such a broad question Um, I think a Let's see. I think it really depends. Um, But I think that even whether it's through, you know, friends in person, one safe friend, I would reach out to somebody, talk to somebody, whether it's a friend or a Facebook group for the issue that you're dealing with or um, even like a crisis line or a text hotline or something like that. I would just say start by reaching out. Just start by knowing, you know, you're not alone. And going from there, you know, really determining, asking yourself, what do I need? Because it might be, you know, to deal with past issues and then it's really appropriate to go to therapy or it might be, I need to know how to move forward because I just feel stuck and maybe that's a coach, you know, so there's different pathways, but, um, I would say start by reaching out to a person who is safe and non-judgmental and who will validate your experience as it is without trying to fix it. Just somebody who can listen non-judgmentally as a starting place and then going from there. Thank you so much. For yeah, thank you today. so much for having me.